Okay, hello friends and welcome to the Chabura. For those who are here for the first time, we're an online Bet Midrash comprised of international students offering cutting-edge Torah for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Uh, just to note to say that if you're watching or hearing this public shoot on YouTube or podcast, we have a whole range of exclusive classes for our members that are not publicly available. In order to access these members-only classes, you can become a member at thechabura.com slash join, and I'll put the link in the chat box. Um, there you'll discover the benefits of becoming a Chabura member, which includes a unique curriculum of classes in video and podcast form, a free book shipped to you each year, the opportunity to write for our journals and books, and to connect with hundreds of like-minded individuals from over 20 countries. We don't make profit from any of our projects, so we appreciate the support of our members in ensuring the Chabura continues to provide cutting-edge Torah to a global audience. So, if you enjoy what we're doing at the Chabura, please consider becoming a member today in time for our new curriculum beginning in September. Visit our website to find out more. And moving on to tonight, tonight we have the privilege of having two incredible individuals who really do not need any introduction, our Rosh Bet Midrash, Senior Rabbi Rabbi Joseph Dweck, and leading scholar and expert in the field, Professor Moshe Albertal. Tonight we will be discussing the fascinating topic of the Jews of Provence and the confluence of culture between Ashkenazim and Sephardim. Thank you so much everyone for coming. And with that, I will hand, hand it over. Thank you very much, as always, Ohad, uh, for the wonderful introduction and for uh, everybody who's here uh, to be able to share in this one in this discussion uh, between uh, Professor Halbertal and myself. I'm going to ask you, Rav Ohad, are you going to um, spotlight uh, the professor and 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 me? And both, so that, yeah, both, that, both of you. Both of you are pinned. We are. We pinned. Okay. Um, so, okay. So professor, I, I, before I, I come, you know, to open the discussion with you, I, I feel that I'm obligated to say, uh, to everybody that's here. Um, and what I say is really not even appropriately, uh, uh, pr- representing what the, the praise that the professor, uh, requires, but, um, I will say to all of the people here that, uh, among the books that the professor has written and everything that he's written is is so erudite and so clear and so well founded um, that I I mean you really should be reading everything that he wrote. But the, there's one book for me that stands out, and that is the book that he wrote on Harambam on Maimonides. And for me, it is the single most uh, excellent book that I have ever read on Harambam's Torah. And if you have not read his book on Harambam, you must read his book on Harambam. Otherwise, you don't know Harambam Torah. You have to be able to, to see this in, under, to, in order to understand. So for me, it is always a tremendous kavod to be able to share time with Professor Halbertal, to be able to discuss Inyane uh, Torah with him. And I'm very grateful, Professor, for, for taking the time to be able to sit and discuss with us tonight. Uh, the Jews of Provence and uh, and Judaism that was running in Provence, but uh, you know, you are the expert on this in this area uh, between the two of us, and I'm really here to to learn from you and to be able to kind of engage in a bit of discussion to be able to better unpack for our for our tzibur uh, the the life and times of that remarkable remarkable area and remarkable period. So I guess I will open with you. And ask you, you know, you wrote a book uh, focusing on the Meiri, but you know, I'm going to open it for you and ask you where where would you like to dive in tonight? Where would you like to dive in tonight? Oh, thank you. 
Thank you for the invitation uh, to study and, and converse with you. And thank you for the warm welcoming and hospitality. It's really an honor to be among you and to have a conversation with you. So thank you all. Uh, I think our starting point maybe uh, should be um, the entry of the Olam of Andalus, the world of Andalus to Provence. Mm. Uh, so we're talking about, we're talking about towards the end of Harambam's life, if not after that. No, I mean, around... Uh, actually, no, uh, uh, earlier. We're talking earlier. earlier. Okay. So let me, let me describe the, a little bit the history, right? So Andalus is in South Spain, in the area of South Spain, where Jews are Sephardi Jews, right? Uh, Rambam always will call himself Moshe ben Maimon Asfaradi, always. Even when he's in Fustat in, in Cairo. Uh, this is a world of Judeo-Arabic culture. All great books in Jewish thought written in that area with immense influence on our life and, and, and Jewish tradition are written in Arabic with Hebrew letters. I'm talking about Bachi Ibn Pekuda, Chovat Alvavot, Kuzari of Rabbi Yudah Levi, Emunot Vedeot of Rasag written in another sphere, but also in Arabic. Uh, and then Moren Vuchim. So uh, this is a this is a, a, a Jews who are great Talmidei Chachamim, great thinkers, poets, philosophers who are immersed in the the Sfaradi tradition of uh, the Judeo-Arabic world. Yeah, that world is uh, is a separate cultural domain then the Jews of Europe across the Pyrenees or even North Spain, Castilia and Catalonia and Provence, which is South France, which is under the dominion of the Christian world. And these yeah. are Jews who do not talk Arabic, do not read Arabic. And they have a, somehow a culture of their own. So we talk about two very distinct halachic, philosophical, theological worlds. That, those worlds meet in a very complex and cultural encounter in Provence. How and so, what? So before, if I can, Professor, before we talk about how they meet, can you speak a little bit about Provence itself? What's what's the before the you know the 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 contact or before the interaction? Right. What is happening in Provence? Right? Is it the same as all of the rest of Europe? We've got southern France over here. It's not necessarily part. It's not part of the northern France and the and the and the, right. and the regime of the king. They have their own their own cities, and there seems to be. Uh, and again, uh, your your thoughts on this, but it seems to be that. There was a period of flourishing, at least, of Jewish life in, in this Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So studying and reading, but they're not necessarily, maybe you can paint us a bit of a picture of, of, of Southern France, of Provence. What we have, is, what we have in, in places like Lunel, that's a very important place. Montpellier, no, Perpignan, no. Béziers. Uh, we have uh, uh, Narbonne. We have a whole, uh, we have com Jewish communities who are, who have their own Torah learning and culture. And uh, they are to a certain degree, to a certain degree in the 11th century, in the shadow of Northern, Northern France where Rashi and the Tosafists are active. But they have their own rabbinic traditions and culture. Yeah. And here uh, we have to, as we're going to explain the situation, we get into very complex cultural reality. Um, just to add to the life, the independent life of, of Provence, the early writings of Kabbalah, the first writings of Kabbalah as we know it, come from Provence. We would say the birthplace of Kabbalah is in Provence. Figures like Ravad, Ravi, Rabbi Abraham ben Yitzchak, Baal Eshkol, Rabbi Abraham ben David, the, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Sagin Aor, uh, all those figures are the, the first Kabbalists are, are known by names and they are active in Provence. Now, at the time when the Rambam was young, around 1150, The Jewish world of the Jewish world of Andalus is shattered by an invasion of a more radical Islamic movement called the Muhaidun. That is, uh, is we would say, the Al Qaeda yeah. of uh, of the, the medieval period. And they shatter the coexistence of Jews, Christian and Muslims under the Muslim rule in Andalus. And Jewish families began to disperse mm. from that world. Mm. Cities like Cordoba, Granada, all these cities are really have such powerful, wonderful Jewish communities, they are completely shattered. This is, by the way, the end of Andalusian Jewry as we know it. Now, so for all intents and purposes, Harambam literally watched the destruction of the entire world of Yadut and Torah that he held so dear. You know, his, exactly. his reminiscence of Hasfaradiya, I mean, it, it ended when he was 20 years old. Exactly. So, so it was really a khurban for him. Real khurban. Yeah. By the way, Maimonides, all his life, we have to remember if we want to understand Rambam, 
is a is a is a refugee, is an yeah. immigrant right. from a great Because country. Because he never went down to Provence. <laughs> Some of the others went down. So here's the here's the interesting thing. Maimon, his father, and the whole family move from Cordova to Fez, to the Maghreb, Morocco. to Morocco, to today's Morocco. Yeah. But that's a strange route because they go into the eye of the storm. A lot of other Jewish families move north, cross the Pyrenees, and settle in the great Jewish communities of Provence. We're talking about great families of learning and culture. Ibn Tibon. Exactly. Yeah, Kimchi, Kimchi, Rabbi David Kimchi. These are great figures. They come with great learning. But they come to a world which is very different than their world. And here we start this Ashkenaz Farad story of Provence. I want to read you from the one uh, one uh, uh, one text that is the most that expresses in the deepest way that encounter from Yudai Ibn Tibon. Right? Who's the father of Shmuel ibn Tibon? And Shmuel ibn Tibon, just to remind everyone, is the great translator, translator of the, the Moren Ebuchim, the guide of the perplexed from Arabic to Hebrew. Yudai ibn Tibon arrives to Provence and he says, in his introduction to his translation of Chovot al Bavot, from Arabic to Hebrew. He says, Also, which means in the Christian land, there was a refuge to all our, to our people. They had great scholars in in the wisdom and learning of Torah and Talmud from ancient days. They didn't occupy themselves with other wisdoms. Here is already... This is Ibn Tibon testifying to the fact, right? He's saying it explicitly. Yeah. He said, these are insulated Jews. They, They have never, they have never, they were never exposed to large wisdoms. Right. And he says, the, the Torah was their only occupation. Basically, if we want to say it in our words, they belong to a backward world. Right. Well, you say backward, I think, you know, that's a charged word. So it's, <laughs> I think it's important to know that. And I recognize that that's, you know, that's, but it's important to, I think, to unpack a bit what, what, what we mean by that, right? I mean, right. if we are in a place, right, in which 
there is no access to a worldly knowledge or or even if there is somewhat which it's debatable we can speak on that the jewish people are not looking into that that they're only studying torah and they're only studying torah interestingly in hebrew so they're not right. even right they're not writing in the vernacular the way that the rambam is right. they right. they are they are closed yeah, and, and so what, what, the, what you're reading is that Ibn Tibon is recognizing that there is this glaring reality in this and, new place. And divide. A divide between, right, so it's different from what they're used to, right? It's different from... A divide between Sfarad and Ashkenaz. That's, so it's very, very interesting because one can say quite emphatically that at least in the 12th century, the divide between Sfarad and Ashkenaz was specifically that, that Absolutely. there was no engagement with worldly knowledge. Absolutely. And by the way, worldly is a little bit, it's a good term, but maybe we can enlarge. We talk about yeah. metaphysics, poetry, mm-hmm. the wisdom of language and digduk, mm-hmm. all those things that from the point of view of Sfarad mm-hmm. are not secular knowledge the way we will describe right. Yes, not at yes. all. Not at all. They're they all are... part of the system. They're all part of the, the, the way that we understand the world and through the Torah's... Uh, the right. Torah's... Torah is embedded and is, is, among other things, one of the expressions of that world. Right. Now, I, love, say... I want to ask you, let me just ask so that I can... So it's because from what I understand, and again... Uh, I, I, I thank you for your, you know, your clarity on it. From what I understand, although they weren't engaging in these subjects, there were Jewish physicians in, uh, you know, in Provence. There were art. They they were artisans. They were they sure. were money lenders. They, oh, absolutely! You know, yeah, yeah. They 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 they, they had great content in so commerce. Like, in yeah, but philosophy, right. Poetry, thought in the uh, science in the broader sense, right. they didn't have any knowledge of. Yeah, yeah. And it says the and here it says the following. The, the candle and light of, of mitzvah and Torah, Arav HaGadol HaChasid HaKadosh, Rabbana Meshulam Neroyair, Ben HaChacham HaYashish, Rabbi Yaakov Zichonol Yivracha. Then he says, but in them, among them, was this figure, who is very important for our story and narrative, Rabbi Meshulam Ben Yaakov, who, who died, by the way, in 1170. Mm-hmm. Right, so he is an older, older than the Rambam, and he says, and he praises him. Look at the word. His his soul cleaved to the Torah of God and to the fear of God. And he put the chokma wisdom, his lot. And his share, and he 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 yearned from to the books of wisdom 
that the Geonim, meaning the great figures, etc., ukefi choltoki betzvera, ve tik mi chokmata Torah, ve chokmata lashon, ve chokmata emuna, ve sifra militzot, ve chipras, ve chipura musar, umishla chachamim, vatim tzake keniadole kolchamudotehem. So he was engaged in translation of all Arabic, Judeo-Arabic culture to Hebrew, and now he, he, say, he speaks about himself, Yehuda Iventivon. He says, when he heard that Bachia Ben Ibn Pakuda wrote this book, Chovot Al-Vavot, that his, his central theme is the unity of God, he, he commended me, or he says, he commended me to translate this book. Right. So here's, a, here's the beginning of the encounter. It's a powerful moment. So Which what you have nice and friendly to begin with. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You have a family. The beginnings were calm. Yeah. You have a family of great rab- rabbinic figure, Meshulam ben Yosef, and his, by the way, sons, among them Aaron, Meshulam ben Yaakov, among them Aaron, Rabbi Aaron ben Meshulam, that will be very important later for our narrative. And he and there is a, a huge translation, a huge translation and and cultural integration of the world of Sfarad into Provence through the activity of the Tibonim. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now we but if this was the whole story, we have a very nice story. All right. Right. It, it didn't didn't stop there. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Yes, Provence, somebody's asking, Provence was under Christian rule. Exactly, under Christian Not rule. That, it was a place of the popes. Popes, the popes came and stayed. So exactly. And this is why he calls them Arzot Edom. Edom. The land of the Edom means the Christian land. Now, I just want to say, what we see is a strong support mm. of Judeo-Arabic Sephardic culture in Provence. Mm. By the way, just to make a point, mm. it doesn't spill over to North, North France. Right. As a matter of fact, when North France starts to spill into Southern France, it gets much, much worse. I mean, right. yeah. It's, it's meanwhile, great. meanwhile, by the way, the, the, there isn't a sharp distinction between uh, between uh, between North North France and South France. What makes the distinction is the immigration of Sfaradi communities into the world of Ashkenaz in Provence. Yeah. I just want to say bracket, maybe for another conversation for you to engage in. Mm-hmm. There is another entry of Farad into European 
Ashkenaz, but later in the 16th century, 16th, 17th century, where, where, the, where Jews were expelled from Portugal and Spain or, stay, or left Portugal and Spain, settled in Amsterdam, yeah. Hamburg, you know, uh, these, are, these are great, great Sephardim. That's, that's where our house comes exactly, from. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. That's a different iteration yes. of that encounter, but it's a different iteration. Very different, yeah. Now, this group of scholars and their Batel Midrash are captivated, completely captivated and swept mm. by Sfaradi world. Mm. But it meets with great resistance as well by other forces in Provence. Mm. So essentially, they needed to, you know, Provence experiences now, you know, this, this, openness to secular culture, this openness to, to worldly, and it had to be justified for them. Right. It wasn't that they took it matter of fact. They needed this right. to be justified. They needed this right. to be able to prove it. And right. that was... Uh, and yeah. I want to I emphasize this is not secular culture per se. Chovot al-Vavot is not a secular book. Right? So I, I, I use that term, right? You're, of course... That's absolutely, absolutely correct, right? In other words, I, I think that what, you know, because you're going back on this, and I think it's important, yeah, right. yeah for, right. for the Sfaradi, for the Sfaradi mind, at least the way that I, I understand it and explain it, for the Sfaradi mind, the Torah is a framework for reality. And so I am looking at the entire world as an expression of God. And everything that I learn from this world is an expression of God. Right. Whereas, whereas, for many of the, you know, the Jews in Provence, in Europe, the Ashkenazi world, the world is, is a distraction. It could be a distraction. And we have to be careful about being drawn into the distraction. I think that's, that's a stark difference. So when right. I say secular, yes, I'm using the, the, right. the vernacular. But yes, very important right. point is for the Hachmes Farad, it wasn't secular. This was not all part all. of their knowledge of Torah. Right. And not only that, we have to recall... And that, that I think, I'm sorry, I think that that was the big thing in Provence, because in Provence, it was secular. It was, it was outside the realm. It was chitzon. Okay, and that was so, exactly. So let's, let's continue. But what we have here is that it's also the place of reason mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is in its speculative exploration mm-hmm. of God and the world mm-hmm. as religiously inspiring and as religiously fundamental. To so you are, just so that we can unpack this a bit, because this is an important, I think this is also a very, very important point. If I understand you, you're saying that in Sparad, the rational uh, reasoned development of metaphysics was in, a, in itself Part of the the hitlahavut of, right. of the ilahut, right? Of the of exactly. The... For example, when we look at the text we're talking about here, chovot al vavot, it's all about religious interiority. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. 
how how the exploration of the inner depth through med- meditative reason, which yeah. is also semi-mystical, mm-hmm. broadens and deepens the religious world. Yes, right. And what's the con- what's the contrast with with the the, the contrast uh, is and uh, and it will become sharper and sharper. The contrast is that that um, you know you were saying that in Provence they were beginning with Kabbalah and that the the right what's That's, the what how are they relating to to right the contrast is seeing reason or the world of reason as a danger as a source of heresy mm-hmm. as a potential for raising doubt mm-hmm. as a potential for leading us away mm-hmm. from um, um, the the you might say the occult yes uh, leading us away from what we presumably traditionally accepted and received wow. from our forefathers mm-hmm. It looks like an overwhelmingly risky, risky. threatening world. It's yeah. not a, it's not experienced as an integrative. Yes, right. It's foreign. It's foreign and, and dangerous. Threatened, exactly. Right. Threatened. Right. Would you say? Would you say, Professor, that? Um, that the Hachmei Provence, and again, there, there were different Hachamim in Provence, because not everybody was, you know, all wearing the same color, so to speak, right? There were different opinions. Right. Some people later ended up defending, you know, Harambam's uh, Torah and so on. But would, would you say that there was a, there was a belief, maybe by the Ra'avad and, and, his, and his kind of group, that if it wasn't found in the Torah proper, that it wasn't necessary to... To study is that an accurate statement or is that too broad? Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's a little bit. It, you're right. What's the nuance in that? The nuance about is it that the Kabbalah is not exactly found in the Torah right. proper. Okay. Okay. Right. Right. It's a. It's a. It's a but symbolic. They wanted to read. They wanted to read into the traditional texts to be able to base all of their knowledge about life and our living in these traditional texts. And and keep to those. Keep All right, to those. right. Now, uh, so what we have when now? So let's now we have a base. We have an encounter, a migration. A, mm-hmm. You know, these are we have to remember. These are great families. Mm-hmm. We immigrate. These are the the elite, the cultural mm-hmm. elite of Andalus immigrating. Mm-hmm and finding themselves in an alien cultural world, mm-hmm. but begin to impact it through that encounter and reception by the family of, uh, by the family of uh, Meshulam Ben Yaakov, Rabbi Meshulam Ben Yaakov, his children and other Talmidei Chachamim in Provence. Yeah. Now, we move a little more ahead in time mm-hmm. in, towards 1180 
1190, Mishneh Torah begins to arrive in manuscripts to Provence. Yeah. Yeah. It crosses, it crosses the Pyrenees, it crossed, it reaches the Christian Jewish world, the world, the Jewish world under Christianity, yeah. first and foremost in Provence. Yeah. And it's accepted in great enthusiasm mm -hmm. among these groups, in particularly in the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Yonatan Akuen of Lune. Mm -hmm. And they begin to exchange with Rambam in questions mm -hmm. about Mishneh Torah. And by the way, we have beautiful letters mm -hmm. yes. written from Rambam to mm -hmm. figures in Provence. By the way, I recommend to, for all of you, for all of you to read a very important Rambam's letter. For me, it's an essential letter that the scholars of Provence ask Maimonides, what does he think about astrology? Mm -hmm. And he writes a letter concerning astrology to those rabbinic figures. Mm -hmm in Montpellier. Mm. And, uh, and where, he where he debunks astrology as a, as a false science, as a, as a superstition, etc., etc., and where he states, he, re he, he makes a powerful statement about the constitutive role of reason in developing fear and love of God and Yadut. It's a very important letter mm. among the exchanges that Rambam have, has with them. Mm. Now they hear as well that there is Morenevuchim, but it's in Arabic which they cannot read. Yeah. And they yearn to read it and learn from Rambam. And uh, And Rambam says, I don't have time. Maybe he didn't have a wish to translate into Hebrew. But among you, there is this great translator, Shmuel ibn Tibon, who's the son of Yudah ibn Tibon. I authorize him to translate Morene Vuchim for you. Uh, and at that moment, both cultural influence expands and trouble begins. Cultural war begins. And uh, I just want to say another thing. Mishneh Torah also was received with enthusiasm and also some type of ambivalence in Provence. And who's the great Provencal critic of the Mishneh Torah? Rabbi David Ravad. Right? The first, what is the first Hasaga of Rabbi Avram ben David, who's older than Maimonides? And in, in terms of his pure scholarship and mastery of Talmud, he can engage with Rambam one-on-one -on, -one on every halacha in every field of Talmud. Yes. He's, a, he's, a, he's an immense scholar. Yes, absolutely. And the first Hasaga of Ravad, the first critical comment of Ravad on the Mishneh Torah is this author thought to improve things, but he didn't improve things. 
And there he expresses criticism for Maimonides not justifying his rulings either through sources, through arguments. And he says, uh, I wish he would have justified it because then it places that I might think that he's mistaken. Maybe I would have been convinced convinced by his arguments. But since we don't have- He's talking about his lack of source. Yeah. Lack of citation, yeah. And he says, who's this authority speaking out of nowhere? I mean, and coming to us with a book of halakha. Mm. He, he, he says he's another rabbi, another rishon for me. Mm-hmm. And I would critically engage with him one halakha after the other. And this idea of an argument, uh, a, a book that doesn't provide arguments is actually a sign for the ravad and others as a, as a, as a presumption of, of authority. Yes. Which is undeserved. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Also, so we have the we have a, a reaction to that, and we have as well a, a, a response to a, 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 a cultural battle and response to the first book of, Sefer, of Mishneh Torah, Sefer Ramada. Because there you've got the philosophical aspects, you've got exactly. the metaphysical aspects, and that's yes. a taste a taste of what they would otherwise find in the Morei Nebuchim, which was exactly. much more and, and we have as well, now... No, I mean, I think people don't realize, I want to just mention, you know, when the Frankel Rambam, they published the Frankel Rambam, till this day, they left Sefer Hamada last. They, they didn't even publish right. Sefer Hamada, and right. then they were questioning whether they would even publish Sefer Hamada with everything else. Right. So right. Ada Yom Azeh, there's the, the, it, it, the, you know, this whole uh, schism maintained. Right. right. Now, then, then uh, 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 with the, with Shmuel Ibn Tibon's translation, Yes. With, by the way, Shmuel Ibn Tibon, radical reading of the guide. Yes, right. It's true. Philosophical. Mm-hmm. In 1232, Rambam dies mm-hmm. in 1204. There erupts a cultural war yes. in Provence around Rambam. I think it's important as well also to recognize that during that time in the 13th century in Provence, there was a lot of civil and social and ecclesiastical change even among the Christians. So there was Absolutely. a lot of, the waters were not settled. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely, that's true. Yeah, so, so there was, it was ripe because already, when, when, was the, uh, when was the Pope instituting the Inquisition against? There is uh, in Avignon, the Pope is in Avignon, and then there is, yeah. well, the, the Qatari heresy, and there is a debate in the University of Paris between right. the Averroists and, and the more moderate. Because some of Greek, Greek philosophy is coming to be known by the Christians as well now. Yeah. Exactly, because at the same time, the Arab works are translated to Latin. Mm-hmm. Among other things, by Jewish 
translators in Toledo. But that's a different story uh, of, of this. Jews are, are a bridge, cultural bridge, uh, both to the European Jews or to the Christian mm-hmm. Europe. But mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a story into itself. Mm-hmm. So uh, in now a very important date for the story of Yadut Provence in 1232, mm-hmm. where an immense debate erupts around the Rambam's writings, in particular around Sefer Amada and Morene Buchim, the guide of the perplexed. Uh, and the and uh, and it's it's being initiated in Montpellier, and uh, uh, and creates. We we, we want to talk about cultural war. That's what's happening out of this encounter of Sfarad and Ashkenaz yes. in the ground of Provence. That becomes the battleground of Jewish culture because if those communities weren't mixed, each had its own domain. But the but the encounter is fierce, and by the way, we would say bloody, very ugly, mm-hmm. very ugly. It, it engages bands, it engages burning of books, but it engages also appeals to the Christian community yes. to interfere with its own coercive, brutal force into this internal Jewish debate used by every side. I mean, that in and of itself, I I must say, I mean, it's known, but it's still, it's so shocking. It is. That it would get to a point that they would turn, you know, Harambam's books over to the, to the Inquisition, to that, to that time. It's, it's, what are your now, thoughts on that? I want to ask you, like, what, what are your, th- what do you think the implications of that were? How did, what were the ripple effects? So now, the, I, to add to that, and now, uh, 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 to add to that, mm-hmm. and, and we want to add to that, mm-hmm. the other side of it, which we talked about Kabbalah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kabbalah, and there was a question here, Kabbalah prior to the Zohar. The Zohar becomes known in 1270. Mm -hmm. Right? We're talking about almost 100 years later, or 70 years later, or 50 years later, in Castilia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have uh, the first Kabbalistic texts known to us of Yitzchak Saginaor, his commentary on Sefer Yetzirah, his students then moved to, from, from Provence to Catalonia, mm-hmm. and they are, they are in Girona. We're talking about Azriel, Ezra, Rabbi Azriel, Rabbi Ezra, uh, and then Nachmanides. Yes. All these are students of Kabbalists from Provence. Provence, yeah. Right. Provence is the birthplace of Kabbalah, as well as a center of Maimonidean culture in Christian Europe, among Jewish communities in Christian Europe. So it's a fierce thing. And we have testimony of the burning of Kabbalistic texts Mm -hmm. 
by Maimonides' supporters. Mm-hmm. Right? I just want to say, uh, uh, just to get a sense of the tension among the rabbinic elites, where Meiri, who lives far later, you know, 40 years later, 50 years later, says, since the Spirit of God spoke to us, when Maimonides' writings, Rambam's writing came to Provence, look at the terms, right? the acceptance of Sfarad in Provence, in Ashkenaz. נמצאו בגלילתנו חכמים וגדולים ומפורסמים בתורה ובכל מיני מעלה, בקיאים בכל סדרה התלמוד והמשנה, אם ידיהם עושות תושייה בחוכמה וספריה, ומצאו חקר תבונתה וסתריה. He says, since Rambam's arrival of his work, we have an integration of philosophy and halacha in our world, in Provence. So those scholars are resisting the Kabbalistic and other forces, the anti-Mormonidian forces, and they're clashing with one another. And by the way, they themselves also ban Kabbalistic books claiming that they're worse than the Christian because the Christians have Trinity and they have 10 Sephirot. You know, they, they they don't... support the unity of God. So, so you have a, a, a cultural class, clash, and we can talk a lot about uh, uh, 12.32, but just to make a point that will haunt Provence from then onwards. Mm. When the local rabbis who try to ban Rambam's books in Provence don't succeed. They appeal to support to the Tosafists mm-hmm. north of them in France. They, want, they appeal to their support. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Maimonides, the Rambam's supporters, appeal to Fra- uh, Spain jury to support them. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have outside forces engaging, usually it radicalizes the debate. Yes. Right? Because, you know, what what do the French Tosafists know about the world of Ramba? You know, they just read the the Sefer Ramadan and they say, this is complete heresy. They don't know the context. They don't know. I want to talk with... uh, I want to talk just about one person's intervention in this debate in 1232, which is Nachmanides Ramban, Moshe ben Nachman, who at the time lives, is a great figure, and lives in Barcelona. And he intervenes writing a, a letter yeah. to the Tosafist in France to get their own hands off. Yes. And not... An amazing letter. It's an amazing letter, yeah. Right? 
What a letter. I wish we, we it's a letter to read very carefully. Yes. It's a masterpiece. Yes. He says to them, essentially, you have, you are so foreign to the culture of the Rambam, and then you don't understand his great achievement and what he had contributed to Yadut. Yeah. He says, Rabim Hishiv Me'avon. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Who, and then he says, do you think if you ban him, mm. that will have any force in world jury? Mm. He says in Yemen, they mention Rambam in Kaddish the Rabbanan. Kaddish, yeah. The Kaddish. Yeah. I mean, are you, what do you think you're doing? Yeah. It's a remarkable letter. It's it's amazing that that letter is not more famous. You know, it's not more well known. But it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable, unbelievable letter. So, yeah. uh, by the way, uh, Rambam, uh, uh, the the supporters of Rambam have the upper hand. Yes. In that clash. I mean, there was a time, was there not, and where there really was this ban with the Rishpah and so on, on studying until you were a certain age. No, let's, we are now, uh, we're moving, right, now we're moving to a different iteration. If we uh, um, want to talk some more about Provence in later periods. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Well, okay, so I don't want to rush, I don't want to rush, and I'm I'm sensitive to time. So at this point with Rabban Nachmani, the, the supporters of Harambam had a bit of the upper hand. Right. Okay, so... Now we... Yeah. Now we have a, a strong a parallel. When, uh, by the way, Kabbalah then is forced to move from Provence. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and there is almost a change of places mm-hmm. where philosophy now gets the upper hand in Provence. Yeah. And Kabbalah moves to, Catal- to Catalonia, yeah. to Spain. There's, there is a, a substitution of places in some very interesting way, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and in Provence, you have figures who are children and great children of the Tibonite family, figures like Rabbi Yaakov ben Machir, Rabbi Yaakov Anatoly, all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the the uh, Levi Ben Yitzchak, There is a huge work of translating philosophical Arabic works to Hebrew, and adding systematic interpretation of Torah and Talmud in line with Rambam's worldview through. The 13th century. The great manifestation, the great jewel of combining Alachaim philosophy in Provence towards the end of the 13th century is Meiri. Shlomo ben Menachem Meiri, whose book Beta Bechira, if we read it, is really thoroughly, thoroughly embedded in Rambam's worldview. And here we come to a second cultural clash. And we're talking, now we are 80 years, 70 years forward, 1304, where you have a 
flourishing philosophical Maimonidean culture in Provence. And there is a figure called Abamari, who's a great rabbi. He says he went to a wedding and in the wedding, uh, someone gave a sermon and said that Abraham is, is form and Sarah is matter. He, he, he did philosophical allegories reading the Torah in public. And he says, Atkan, enough is enough. And he wants to issue a ban on philosophical sermons and on the study of philosophy at young age. Mm-hmm. And he fails to issue the ban internally. And he does what was done before. He appeals this time yeah. to Barcelona, to Rashba, Rabbi Shlomo yeah. Ibn Adret, yeah. uh, who's now the great halachist yeah. of world Jewry. Yes. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and uh, he's, uh, he is the, he's not a friend of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, he hesitates to intervene in the, in the internal debate of Provence. He also remembers the scars of what happened in 1232. Okay. It's all in the memory. But he's drawn into it, mm-hmm. slowly drawn into it. I just want to say we, uh, and then a huge second iteration of a cultural war erupts in Provence between those who support the philosophical curriculum and philosophical, we would say, training, education, and integration of philosophy and religion in the Rambam's approach, and we would say the opponents, though it's a little bit complicated uh, to make, to demarcate the camps exactly. But they, the opponents appeal to the Rashba. By the way, at the moment the opponents appeal to the Rashba, it stops to be an internal debate among moderate or radical Maimonideans in Provence, and it begins to be a war. Yeah. It's world jewelry, whatever it is yeah. at that time. But it's because it's touched by the Rishba. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say, uh, just to give you a sense of the nature, what at stake at this debate. There is a practice, a medical practice called Sefer Atzurot, the Book of Forms, that uses astrology and astral magic in order to heal different ailments and and illnesses that people have. They use, for example, Tzurat Ariyeh, a lion-shaped figure, in order to heal kidney problems. Mm-hmm. Assuming to the, that this shape draws astral forces a certain type we will call in today's language energy that heals the body. Now, in line with the Maimonidean halacha, 
with Rambam Zalacha, the supporters of Rambam prohibit that practice as, a, as prohibited from the Torah because it is a form of magic. It's a form of all the prohibitions of magic appeal to that. Because Rambam, in his halachic work, in chapter 11 of Ilchot Avodah Zara, in his great Mishneh Torah, prohibits the uses of medical practices that are not grounded in reason, that are grounded in the occult. And the issue of Tzurat Aryeh becomes a symbol of the great cultural war that is tearing Provence apart between the Maimonidians and the anti-Maimonidians in 1304. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, we're telling all this story because it's fascinating. People think that the Rambam, as a philosopher, as a, as a, was a relatively marginal figure, but as a halachist, he had a lot of impact, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's not accurate, not in the 13th, not in the 14th century. And in particular, where Rambam's world was alive and flourishing among not the assimilated courtly Jews of Spain, but among rabbinic elites and great Talmidei Chachamim, it is in Provence. Yes. So, uh, uh, so this is, I, I would say, that's a point to, uh, to, to, you know, give a whole uh, picture because we're talking about 150 years mm-hmm. of complex encounter of Sfarad and Ashkenaz in Provence that makes, for me, Provence the most interesting, vibrant place that reflects the different worlds yes. of world Jewry at the time. I just want and to say... They, and how they come together. Exactly. And I mean, it's, I, I'm, you know, it's important for us, I think, especially here in the Habura, but I think it's important for us to be able to examine that period. And I'm so grateful again to you, Professor, for coming on to kind of present this together with us. But it's so important to be able to examine that period because a lot of the things that we... Uh, experience in the modern Jewish world, in the modern, uh, you know, uh, observant world also, it's, right. we think that these are new arguments or that these are new elements, but the reality is that this has been going on a very long time. And there are, there are deep roots to right. much of what it is that we experience today. Absolutely. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I wonder... Um, what would you say, if the, I hope this is a fair question, and we're coming close to the end of time, and so I think, well, Ohad, are we going to open for questions, or? Whenever, if there's time. I don't know how the professor, but I'm going to ask the professor this question. Right. What would you say are some of the key lessons, two, three key lessons that, that you would suggest we pay attention to coming out of all that we've just presented from Provence, right? You know, this, this right. confluence of cultures, this confluence of approach to Torah, the, the fights, the burning of books, the, the, the conflicts that were drawing people in. 
if you had to, what are some of the key lessons that you would suggest are important for us to remember today, looking at that and studying from history? So I would say, uh, um, three lessons. Mm-hmm. First of all, we have different, uh, different jury, uh, different world's view mm-hmm. of what is Jewish life and what constitutes Jewish life mm-hmm. in the medieval period. And there is no one Judaism. Okay. There is the Jewish, the Jewish world of Andalus, the Jewish world of, of Ashkenaz, the Jewish world of Provence, Kabbalah. We have diverse uh, Jewish worlds. We have Ibn Ezra. We have, hmm. There is a huge diversity hmm. and plurality of, of what is Yadut. Mm-hmm. accelerating and developing in the 11th, 12th century. Let's mm-hmm. start with that lesson. Okay. Yeah. Nobody th- can claim there is one authentic way mm-hmm. of thinking mm-hmm. and seeing God and the world and Torah mm-hmm. in, in our history. Yeah. We start with that fact. Yeah, okay. By the way, including a fierce alternatives of what is the secret of Torah? What is the sod? Because for Maimonides, the sod of Torah is wisdom, is philosophy, Mm -hmm. is is metaphysics. For the Kabbalists, the sod of Torah is the sefirot, etc., etc. For Mm -hmm. Ibn Ezra, by the way, the sod of Torah is a certain type of astrology and divine astrology, etc. Maimonides dismisses, etc., etc. But what we have, and then we have Rashi that has a world with, has a Judaism with no secrets. Right. Right. But but what we have is a plentitude, radical plentitude of perceiving, understanding, and living Yadut. Lovely. That's lesson one. The plurality the plurality, the plurality and that plurality is an outcome, among other things, of the embeddedness of Jews in their own realm. Yes. In the way you... So, die, so if I understand what you mean by that, you're saying it's a form almost of speciation, right? In other words, you've got Jews that are separated and isolated and they've developed their own... Uh, is that what you're saying or am I misunderstanding? I'm saying that and I'm also saying that it depends... The, the way... Judaism is formed is depend among other things on the interaction of Jews in their environment. Yes. The way Judah even Tibon begins and said, look, they you might say from I, I would put it the way then others will say it more bluntly than Judah even Tibon would say. He would say the Ashkenazim, those who live in the north, who never see the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in one of the debates, they say, Yoshvei Ma'arot Trufim, they live in caves, wet caves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They live in a world where, where they lived an impoverished cultural world among the Christians. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so in essence, as much as, as, much as uh, maybe, let's say, the, the, some of the Hachmei Provence 
would want to assert that all of their world was in Torah, they could never escape the fact that they were embedded in this external environment that, of course, is going to be able to, is going to influence. So all right. of the Jewish people where they so are. So we have, we have, the first Torah. lesson is plurality. Plurality. Radical diver, diverse right. readings of Torah in 11th, 12th century. By the way, Rambam plays a huge role in providing an alternative in establishing one of the alternatives, as we saw, and that, and that, uh, and and some of the diversity is is a, is an outcome of the engagement of of Chachamim with their environment. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Lesson two. Lesson two has to do with the fact, very important, that Sfarad, not as a, as a cultural category, mm-hmm. Sfarad is a cultural category. Now we talk mainly about Rambam's world. Has a deep, in its philosophical outlook, as a deep continuity in Provence and among rabbinic elites, and it's far more rooted and deep than what different people, historians, and other things about Rambam's world. That's an important one. That's an important one. Yeah. Right. You so read. So you're, it was much more. There was a very strong significance of Rambam's Torah in Provence, and people might attribute to it. Yeah. And not only among you know marginal non-Talmidei Chachamim philosophers. Yes. Like Ibn Kaspi or Yaakov Anatoly. We're talking about great Talmidei Chachamim. Let's take, we all read Beta Bechira of of Meiri. We know what a a Talmid Chachami is. He's a giant. That's the second lesson. The third lesson is now we come to internal conflicts. Mm-hmm. Is can this radical diversity reside side by side together in the same cultural communal space? Mm. Mm. And that's the 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 challenge of Provence. Mm. Or you might say the failed. To some degree, the failed experiment. Yeah, I mean, it would seem if we're studying history, there was all it was either one or the other that was kind of in in charge. Right. It was, I don't know that there was ever a time that they were in harmony. Would you so think? we have to look for a figure like Rambanus, by the way, a Kabbalist through and through. Mm-hmm. Moshe ben Nachman. Nachman, yeah, yeah, who seeks some sort of. Co- Spiritual, political, communal coexistence. And the third lesson has to do with... Let me ask you this. Would you say that he came closest to doing that? Who came closest to doing that? He came closest because he, he had the scope of 
of the of the view of Jewish culture in its totality. By the way, mm-hmm. it's interesting. We talk about diverse Jewish lives, mm-hmm. and you ask themselves, is there someone who see all the who sees all the diversity and understands it from within? Mm-hmm. That's Moshe Ben Nachman. So that's very interesting because, you know, it's very likely that, you know, staunch Maimonideans would reject that there should be synthesis, as as would the other side, you know, they would say there should be synthesis. But nonetheless, the the Ramban Nachmani uh, seems to have believed that this was was something that should have a confluence and harmony. Right. He doesn't think of a synthesis, but he thinks that... Mm -hmm. We have to strive to understand the value of the value for Jewish life of positions we disagree with. Mm-hmm. Okay. He says, he says, look, I'm not a Maimonidean. I'm not a Rambamist. Right. But I'm not going to ban Rambam. Yeah. I'm not going to excommunicate. He recognizes the value of Rambam's presence in the Jewish uh, dialogue and study. Exactly. So these are the three. Okay, that's a, those are big. Those are important lessons, professor. Yes. Those yes. Are important lessons. Well, I, I, I have to say, and it is an understatement to say that it is a tremendous privilege always to be able to speak well, with you, to learn from you, to share this time with you, and it's an honor for us. Thank you again. I know it's very late in in, in the Aritz and Eretz Hamda, but so your 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 sacrifice and contribution is ten times more than 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 usual. And we thank you so much for your dedication and care Most, to the Habura, to the learning, to the Talmud Torah, and to the broadening of our... Of and our may, your, may, your, may your Habura flourish in learning and in, in understanding and... Amen. Amen. Thank you, Professor. Thank you. And uh, please, God, we look forward to more. We look forward to more. But until then, Chaim Tovim, Briut. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Good night. Good night. Thank you.